Hi, I'm Sonia. Lean, never mean, quite keen and full of beans. We're coming to you almost live from Mark Zuckerberg's private... Oh, I've said too much again. Take it away, Mr. Showbiz. Hey, everybody. My name's Sid Griffin. You're Riffin' with Griffin once again. The podcast is back on the airwaves, and it's good to know you. It's also 2018, 2018, in the year of our Lord. Bum, 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 bum. We're starting off tonight's theme is posthumous hits. I popped that pee. Posthumous hits by rock and roll heroes. Songs done by a guy or a gal or a group in whatever genre they're in that were hit after the person that wrote and sang the song or wrote or sang the song died. That they didn't live to see this song hit the charts. And they're all hits. There's not anything too totally obscure here, unless you just don't like that genre. The first one we're going to hear is Brown-Eyed Handsome Man, the Chuck Berry song, done by Buddy Holly. And after he died in February 1959, songs of his were tarted up, of course, at Clovis, New Mexico, at the Norman Petty Studio, where he recorded all his big hits. Uh, This one was tarted up, the Brown-Eyed Handsome Man. It was a big hit in England. It wasn't much of a hit in the United States, so it charted, but it was a big fat hit in England, uh, pre-Beatles and all that. By the Fireballs, yes, they augmented Holly and the usual crew from Clovis, New Mexico. That would be George Tomsko on guitar, Stan Lark on bass, the legendary Kevin McCormick on rhythm guitar, kind of replacing what Holly did. It's mainly just Holly's vocal they kept. And it looks like Doug Roberts on drums, but I was always told it was Eric Budd. And Norman Petty, who, of course, is the producer of Buddy Holly, and the man who withheld Buddy Holly's royalties. So Holly went on the road on the Winter Party Dance Tour, that freezing cold tour, to make some money because his royalties were being held by Norman Petty, who wouldn't pay him because Holly didn't want to record for Norman anymore. They'd had a rift. So Holly essentially went on the road that February 1959 and was in the the cold and the sleet, which finally uh, forced his plane down, the plane that he was riding in with, the big big bopper. And... uh, Richie Valens forced it into that field where he died because he was trying to make some money. What a horrible story that is, boy. Anyway, it's a great song. Here's the first one of the evening, but not the last. No, sir, we've got 12 big fat hits coming up. He didn't live to see it hit the charts, but I wish he had. Buddy Holly, brown-eyed, handsome man. What's not to like? Oh, Reggie Norman, George's love, a honey and farm, and he was sitting in the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney, said, that's right, Reggie Norman, George's love, a honey and farm, in a DWA, I saw a woman walking across the sand. She been walking 30 miles in a uniform feeder with a brown-eyed hand. Man, that's a nation with a brown-eyed hand. Way back in 53,000 years, back in the world again. There's been a whole lot of good women changing tears upon a brown-eyed hand. Man, a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed hand. Brown-eyed handsome man, that's what my name was. A brown-eyed handsome man. 
be true Always and forever I'll love just you Just promise me, darling Your love in return Make this fire in my soul, dear Johnny Ace, what a great song. It's really his only big hit to cross over to the pop charts. It was number one in the R&B charts for weeks after weeks when it was, uh, in fact, it's a 10 weeks hit uh, starting February 12th, 1955. Uh, it's a tragedy, Johnny Ace. It's way up there with the big bopper, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, who I just mentioned. It was City Auditorium, Houston, Texas, Christmas Day, 1954. I remember Big Mama Thornton was in the LA Times in the early 80s, being interviewed about this. And she said that he was playing Russian roulette and her bass player, whose name escapes me, said uh, that Johnny Ace was just drinking and fooling around with a pistol that he, and he was waving it. And, he, and someone said, the gun's not loaded. So he, Johnny Ace rather said, the gun's not loaded, see, and fired, fired it when it was uh, pointed at himself. Now, I hope that's not true. The whole thing's tragic, but the one reason I hope that story's not true is because Terry Kath of Chicago did the exact same thing. He was playing with a loaded gun in Malibu in 1978 when I was already living in California. And the great Chicago guitar player, talented man he was, told the guys in the band, don't worry, it's not loaded. Put it to his temple, pulled the trigger and, and blew his brains out. So it's happened twice in rock and roll and I hope it doesn't ever happen a third time. So that's the great Buddy Holly doing a Chuck Berry song, as I said, called Brown and Handsome Man. That's Johnny Ace doing Pledging My Love, which no less than Bob Dylan has sung recently on his tours. He's performed that several times in the last five years. And Paul Simon's performed it a few times in the last 10 years, 15 years ago, that kind of time period, I guess it was. More like 15 years ago, Paul Simon played it. And when he played it on stage, he just sang it straight and said, that was the first record I ever bought, the 45 RPM single, the great... Johnny Ace doing Pledging My Love. By the way, I'm very aware that Paul Simon has a song that's a tribute to Johnny Ace called The Late Great Johnny Ace, where he conflates Johnny Ace's death with the death of John Lennon. It's on his album Hearts and Bones, 
If you like Paul Simon, check it out. Now, we're moving forward. This song was one of my favorite singles of all time. And when I say singles, I mean I had the 45 of it scratched to death that I got at a record fair in L.A. We're going to hear a CD now, so it's all cleaned up. The band used to do this one for an encore, and it's called Hang Up My Rock and Roll Shoes, and I'm going to tell you about it in just a second. My mama told me she didn't like that rock and roll. I said, please, mama, please. Mama, you just don't know I don't want Hang up my rock and roll shoes. You know, I get that feeling every time I hear those blues. That music got to be that will keep you alive. The kids are rock and rolling from 8 to 25. I don't want
There's a little yellow eye to the north of Kathmandu Everybody's crying and no one leaves the ground Well, everybody's crying and no one makes a sound There's a place for us in movies, you just gotta lay around told John Lennon. Hey, nobody told me either. But at least he made a living out of it. Good on you, John. We started with Chuck Willis doing one of my favorite songs of the 50s, Hang Up My Rock and Roll Shoes, which the band used to do for an encore with Levon Helm singing it. I used to go to record fairs in LA, as I was saying, and I got the single of it because I knew it from the band. Now, the, my point is here, what you heard before the Lennon song was uh, the Chuck Willis, a CD on Razor and Tie. Now, Razor and Tie were a fine reissue label that are now no longer with us. They did very well mastered, uh, great sounding CDs. They're fine, but nothing beat the sound of a turntable and 45 RPM records. It's a pain in the butt to change the record every three, three and a half minutes. I agree. But man, that sound just leapt off the turntable. And when I was in a really good mood, which is frequently back in LA, you know, I had about a singles collection of about 600 rock and roll singles. About 200 of them have picture sleeves. And I love playing single after single after single, which was a butt uh, kick in the butt because you have to stand there. I mean, you can't really even sit down and enjoy it. You got to stand back up. But they just, they were, they're cut hotter. They sound better than LP vinyl. They sound way better than cassettes, which cassettes and eight track, all the tapes were a joke to me, just a joke. And, uh, and CDs are clean sound, but nothing was like the vinyl of, of 45s. I mean, I had the vinyl of the Beatles. Uh, it was uh, If I Fell. And uh, what was on the other side? I can't remember. Uh, and I love her. And it was just, it sounded 10 times better than, than the album. Just vinyl was, vinyl 45s where it's at, not vinyl LPs. Anyway, Hang Up My Rock and Roll Shoes from 1957. Chuck Willis, I, he was deceased by then, or so I'm told. I can't remember. I'm so scatterbrained tonight. But he was a great, great artist. He wore a turban on stage. I don't know why. So when Graham Parsons and the Fallen and the, uh, excuse me, when Graham Parsons, Chris Hillman, the Flying Burrito Brothers played Philadelphia on their tour with Get Ready, they toured in early 69 with a Magical Mystery Tour film. 
the TV show. Swear to God, that was the double bill. The Flying Burrito Brothers and Magical Mystery Tour joined at some gigs by th- the early Three Dog Night who were just getting started. What an act, huh? What a night. So Chris and uh, Graham went out in Philadelphia, where Chuck Willis is from, and bought turbans for the burritos. They all wore turbans on stage that night. Anyway, a great song from the album, I Remember Chuck Willis. I think it was the first album that came out after he uh, was deceased. Then the great John Lennon, Nobody Told Me, that's off the 1984 album Milk and Honey, which is made up of outtakes from the double fantasy sessions. They were kind of doing double fantasy and they had so many good songs and getting towards the end, Lennon said, just keep recording and we'll make two albums. Never dreaming that just a short time after finishing the double fantasy album in late 1980, he would be assassinated by a guy whose name I won't say. What's interesting to me is, of course, Lennon loved Chuck Willis, and there's a similarity in musical theme between Hang Up on Rock and Roll Shoes and Nobody Told Me. A lot of Lennon's songs I noticed on the first John Lennon album called Plastic Ono Band that came out in 1970. Uh, Tom Stevens of the Long Riders sent me a tape once, and it was Lennon working up the songs, and a lot of them were based on him fooling around with old rock and roll hits, and that he'd play them and they would morph into a different song, and hence that rock and roll, uh, the Plastic Ono Band album with Mother, Working Class Hero, Well, 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 and so on and so forth. So, one more John Lennon song now that I'm thinking about it. I am scrambling here, folks. I'm just, this is complete free association. My dear friend, says he dropping a name, Willie Nile, N-I-L-E, if you don't know who Willie Nile is, Lucinda Williams says, Willie Nile opens for me, but in a perfect world, I would be opening up for Willie Nile. And I, Lucinda, I think you're great, but I see the point. Willie Nile made his first album for Arista in 1980. He was across the hall in New York, and I think it was the record plant, or do they call it the record factory? He's across the hall from Lennon, who was doing Double Fantasy. And he wanted to meet Lennon, and Jack Douglas and various guys said, oh, we're gonna, you'll meet him, you'll meet him, you'll meet him. Jimmy Ivine, you'll meet him, you meet him, we'll get you together. And they never did meet. One night he needed strings, so he sent a note over there, because there was a, uh, a security guy on the door, sent a note over to the Lennon place where they might have been recording. Nobody told me that very night and said to the Lennon studio, my name's Willie Nile. I'm in the next studio over. Do you have this set of strings in this gauge? I could really use them. So Willie got a note back about a half hour later saying, hey, Willie, hope to meet you. We're working, blah, blah, blah. Enjoy these strings, John Lennon. And so uh, Willie Nile never did get to meet John Lennon, but he got a, a lovely note from him and he got his autograph. Anyway... Moving on over, because the beat goes on, baby, baby, baby. This is uh, a song by someone who died in a plane crash as well, grimly enough. This is Patsy Cline, the dear, sweet country singer, who is, of course, a, a friend of Loretta Lynn's. We'll do it for you right now, and I'll shut up yakking. This is Patsy Cline doing a brilliant song called, we know it as Sweet Dreams, but it's actually called Sweet Dreams, parentheses, of you, closed parentheses. Patsy, take it away. You 
Instead of having sweet dreams about you Oh, my love. 
Harry Enfield, the UK comic, playing me some of the Whalers stuff when they were sort of a Curtis Mayfield impressions band back in the late 60s before the ganja got to them. And those tracks are really good too. Very talented band. Very talented band. With uh, Peter Tosh, Bunny Livingston, Bob Marley. Very. Like a Beatles of, well, they weren't even the Beatles then, they were like an Impressions band. Anyway, as if you didn't know, this is from 1983. Marley's been dead about three and a half years when it came out. It was one of his biggest hits. What what a Buffalo soldier is, is in the way that Irish immigrants went to the United States and soon found themselves drafted into the Union Army. Yes, a lot of the Union Army was Irishmen who were born in, funny enough, Ireland, fighting as bluecoats in the American Civil War, some in the gray, but a lot of them, a lot of them were uh, Yankees, hence the legendary huge draft riot of 1963, I believe it was, in New York City, which just was completely out of hand because these people came to America to, to farm and find a new life. They didn't come to America to join the army, and particularly join the army and immediately fight in a war. They could have done that at home. Anyway, Buffalo Soldier was uh, the African-Americans who joined the Union Army, and they were originally members of the 10th Cavalry, Metrum, 10th Cavalry Regiment of the United States Army. And when they went out west to uh, protect the settlers who were, frankly, uh, encro encroaching on the land of the Native Americans, the Native Americans thought the uh, dreadlock-styled crazy hair, which they'd never seen since they had dead straight black hair, reminded them of buffaloes. So they called the... African-American, I guess you could say, or Caribbean-American soldiers, Buffalo soldiers. And bizarrely, the Buffalo soldiers, these uh, black troops in the Union coats, Union blue coats, embraced the, t the term and really liked it and called themselves Buffalo soldiers because the Buffalo was such a majestic, courageous, proud creature. It was not like they called them uh, snake soldiers or butterfly soldiers. They called them something great, Buffalo soldiers. So they embraced it. Marley recorded the song... It sat around for a while. It came out in the album Confrontation 1983. It was a big, fat hit, and deservedly so. Every time I talk about Bob Marley, I think about the Long Riders. We won uh, Island Records from 85 to late 87. We were there for three years. You couldn't go in Island Records without somebody talking about Bob Marley or U2 because those are the two biggest acts they had. So I had the back catalogs of both guys, both acts, for free because they were just, you know, here's this, here's this. It's funny, Patsy Cline actually was a really rootin' tootin', ballsy, two-fisted woman kind of pistol-packin' mama before she sort of went soft country pop. By that, I mean, she, she there's over 200 Patsy Cline hard country honky-tonk, up-tempo, almost Bakersfield kind of tunes recorded early in her career, which I quite like. But of course, after about 1950. Eight when she did that, what's that Don Hecht, Alan Block song? Walking After Midnight, when she did Walking After Midnight, um, her career just turned around. So she became, they softened the country and kept the pop going. But you can't really argue with uh, 
Sweet Dreams. It's just a classic, classic song. And what I really like about it is um, Roy Buchanan, of all people, did a Telecaster, dirty, beautiful country and Western meets rhythm and blues instrumental of the thing. Crazy. Isn't it just crazy? Well, that's a joke. Because crazy was one of her hits too, the Willie Nelson song. Now, here's a little bit about Patsy Cline, a little trivia. Uh, I was at MCA and Warner Brothers. There was some kind of a jamboree thing going on in the industry in LA. And uh, this is, uh, I was already living in England. This is about 15 years ago. And I was looking at the reissue catalogs and somebody told me the top 20 reissues of uh, year in, year out in America, that Graham Parsons... Uh, reissue of GP, his first solo album, and his second and last solo album, Grievous Angel, is annually in America one of the top 20 reissues of back, a back catalog releases. I mean, we're not talking about the Beatles' Rubber Soul, because of course the Beatles are going to sell zillions of copies, but of just regular old kind of folks, Graham sells a lot of copies now. In Death is a back catalog item. And also, one of the big sellers is Patsy Klein's Greatest Hits. It sells year in and year out. Her, like the Ramones, who now sell more records today in 2018 than they ever did before. They make more, they generate more money now than they ever did before. And believe me, I know because I'm friends with a bunch of Ramones insiders. So go figure that. Anyway, Patsy Klein, Bob Marley, I could talk about them all night. Here's another guy I could talk about all night. And we're going to have a little theme coming up with these next few ones. This is the great Sam Cooke doing a change is going to come. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there. Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh, yes it will I go to the movie And I go downtown Somebody keep telling me don't hang around It's been a long, a long time coming But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will Then I go to my brother Say, brother, help me, please But he winds up Knocking me 
Back you up, crack you up, and pips smack you up. You gotta learn to hold your own 
your mobile phone But telecoms can't touch this I don't trust this When they try to rush, I bust this That's the sound number two You say it ain't cool My mama didn't raise no fool And as long as I stay black I gotta stay strapped And I never get to lay back Cause I always gotta worry about the payback Some buck that I roughed up way back Coming back after all these years that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh yeah. Now this song, Tupac started when he was at Interscope Records about 1992. Isn't that great? And that piano, every white suburbanite knows, is from The Way It Is, a big hit by Bruce Hornsby. What do I know about Tupac? Not a lot. What do I know about Bruce Hornsby? Even less. But I will say this. I went to the Los Angeles Clippers basketball game. They're an NBA team, a professional team. And uh, my friend Dan Perloff used to sell season tickets for them. So he said, listen, there's a box that's not being used tonight that I know you could sit in. It's almost courtside. So you could, I could get you down there and you'll be sitting alone amongst four seats, which is kind of weird. But um, the people that I sold the box to are not going to be there tonight. I know that for a fact. So I had these fabulous seats at this basketball game. And you're going to say, Tupac showed up. No, close. I'm sitting there talking and a guy sits behind me a little bit and says, uh, are these your seats? And I looked at him and said, no, my friend sells season's tickets. I'm told the people aren't going to be here tonight and I'm just going to sit here. So the guy said, well, it's okay with me. And we watched the game. And I glanced at him and didn't recognize him. And at halftime, we've been talking about basketball and all that stuff. At halftime, I turned and stuck my hand out and said, hi, my name's Sid Griffin. And the guy looked at me and said, hi, my name's Bruce Hornsby. And so I was sitting in the Bruce Hornsby box, uh, court, almost courtside at an NBA thing. And he didn't throw me out. I stayed there the second half. We had a couple of beers together. I don't know much about Mr. Hornsby's music, but he's a nice guy and from the state of Virginia. And he played high school basketball. I remember him telling me that. Tupac, did he play high school basketball? Hell, I don't know. But um, he died around 96, is it not? The song was a big hit in a lot of Europe. It was number three here in the UK from whence Mark Zuckerberg's got us in this protective bunker. Uh, it came out on a posthumous album called uh, Greatest Hits, as I recall. And Tupac, of course, uh, it's his ground zero. What does he sing about? You know, racism, police brutality, gang violence, drugs. The Huey that Tupac Pac mentions in the song is, of course, Huey P. Newton, founder of the Black Panther Party. You might have guessed that one. It talks about, uh, amusingly enough, amazingly enough, it talks about the possibility of a black president of the USA claiming, quote unquote, we ain't ready. Well, dig that, man. And that happened to Obama about 14 years after this record was cut. Tupac underrated guy i know i'm not mr hip-hop you can tease me all you want about it uh i have shaken dr dre's hand does that count for anything okay no it doesn't anyway uh it's a great song i really like it it's it's not so aggressive that it, it scares away people from the leafy green suburbs like myself and before it we heard sam cook doing a change is going to come i've spoken about this song before if not on this podcast certainly on the bbc airwaves Bottom line, Sam Cooke heard Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan, and he couldn't believe it. And someone in the studio, I think it was Bumps Blackwell, it might have been J.W. Alexander. Those are, believe me, those are heavy R&B names in the L.A. Central Avenue, early 60s R&B scene. They, somebody told him, actually, it's written by a white guy. And Cook says, yeah, you know, somebody told me that. And he just couldn't get out of his head that Blowing in the Wind, this fantastic song 
so obviously about civil rights, how many times can a man turn his head pretending he just doesn't see? Cook said, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta answer that. I gotta answer that. That's beautiful. So he wrote a change is going to come. The verse, which is sometimes edited out about going downtown and going to the movies and wanting my brother to help me and my brother just leaves me down on my knees and all that. Sometimes there's, there's a single that Hugo and Luigi, Cook's producers did, that edited that out. So this, that version's 40 minutes, sh- 40 seconds shorter. Now, of course, we've played the, the lengthy version, the proper version, but it's Sam's answer to Blown in the Wind. And of course, as the theme of this show, it came out, as everything else has, after the artist singing it, in this case, singing it and writing it, died. It was a hit in the early 65. Cook was dead. Uh, strings were added by Hugo and Luigi, uh, which I think are completely unnecessary, but it's still a great song. So in keeping with our theme, a big hit by a big talent, no longer with us, who didn't live long enough to see a change is going to come, hit the charts, and indeed become the staple, the classic, the war horse that it is. Next up, a song called Angel. Well, who's that? Is it going to be by Aerosmith? No. It's going to be Robbie Williams doing Angel? No. It's going to be by this guitar player I know.
heart will make you weep. You'll cry and cry and try to sleep, but sleep won't come the whole night through. Your cheating heart will tell on you. When tears come down like falling rain, you'll toss around and call my name. You'll walk the floor the way I do. Your cheating heart will tell on you. country that's the late great hank williams he died if memory serves january 1st 1953 dig this true story the long riders were rehearsing i'm gonna say summer 83 maybe summer 82 if we started back then but it's certainly summer 83 it's hot it's la it's hot it's summer and a guy we were playing some country and western and steve mccarthy's on the lap steel not the pedal steel the lap steel Guy, boom, 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 on the rehearsal room in L.A., somewhere in Hollywood, uh, off Fountain, but I can't remember where. It's probably gone now because the neighborhood's regentrifying that I lived in in L.A. All those neighborhoods are. In fact, if you see the movie La La Land, I know I lived walking distance from that jazz club, which is just a shop. They, you know, it was a, So I actually quite liked the movie La La Land. I thought Emma Stone did a great job. A lot of my friends can't believe I liked it. I thought it was great. Anyway, back to the story, Sid. So Hank Williams, uh, this guy knocks on the door, thump, 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 thump. We open the door and he claimed to be one of the drifting cowboys, Hank Williams' backing band. And this old man claimed to have been uh, one of the drifting cowboys when Hank died. Can't remember the guy's name, but that's what he said. And he said, furthermore, making the story sweeter or more jive, I don't know if it's true. He said he was one of the Marlboro men, the, the cigarette smoking Marlboro men from the billboards and the ad campaign of decades long. If you like Marlboro cigarettes, and I was never, despite being from a tobacco state, 
I was never a smoker. But he said he was one of the Marlboro men, one of the Cowboys in the ads. Hell, who knows? Anyway, Hank Williams, Your Cheating Heart was the first single that came out after he died. I believe, if memory serves, it was the B-side. And the A-side was the rather ghastly, uh, how do you pronounce it? Caligua? It's the one about the cigar store Indian. Yeah, that's a poignant hit. <laughs> anyway, it was the first single after he died, but I still think it was the B-side. Uh, before that, Jimi Hendrix, Angel, Rod Stewart and the Faces did a fantastic version. He throws in, apropos of not much. Angel was a song that Hendrix started working on way back in 67. People my age and Hendrix fans worldwide will remember that it came out on his immortal album around July 1971 called The Cry of Love. But Hendrix only made the three albums with the experience before he croaked. Right? And he died on my birthday. I was 15 years old. September 18th, 1970, and he died. How could he do that to me? Broke my heart. Anyway, Hendrix uh, started working on it in 67. He put it aside. They started getting real serious with about it at Electric Lady Studios, according to these notes from the CD booklet. Uh, they started working on it July 23, 1970. It is, of course, Hendrix, guitar vocals, bass, Billy Cox, drums, the great Mitch Mitchell. Billy Cox died not long ago. He was living in... Uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, the great man died not long ago. He apparently had a pawn shop that people would go visit and touch the hem of his garment, saying, you're the great Billy Cox that was in the army with Jimi Hendrix and later played bass for him. And he would say, yes, that's me. So anyway, uh, overdubs were done October 19th, 1970. I am reading this part by the late, great Mitch Mitchell, who I bumped into several times and moved to LA in 1970. He was a small, pale Englishman, but a nice guy. And he played drums with Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames. Am I giving too much information too fast? That's my usual way. Anyway, Angel, one of my favorite Hendrix songs of all time. It was also reissued on First Rays of the New Rising Sun, one of these new Hendrix albums that keep coming out. Uh, this one came out just a couple of years ago. In fact, there's a new, new Hendrix album that's out. I can't remember its name. That just came out here in or late 2017 or early 2018. I mean, my God, they keep reconfiguring Hendrix stuff and Hendrix keeps reissuing uh, records, which is pretty good for a guy that died when I was 15. Hell, I'm 62 now. Next song. It allows me to talk about Graham Parsons in my college days. It's about a guy who quite wisely said he had a name. Like the pine trees lining the winding road. I've got a name. I've got a name. Like the singing bird in the croaking toad I've got a name I've got a name And I carry it with me like my daddy did But I'm living the dream That he kept here Moving me down the highway Rolling me down the highway Moving ahead so life won't like a north wind whistling down the sky I've got a song I've got a song Like the whirlpool will and the babies cry I've got a song I've got a song And I carry it with and I sing it loud If it gets me nowhere I go there proud Moving me down the highway Rolling me down the highway Moving ahead so life won't pass me by 
share it if you want me to If you're going my way, I'll go with you Bend me down the highway Don't let me down the highway Moving ahead so life won't pass the by Bend me down the highway Don't let me down the highway People are kind of surprised I like this one song by Jim Croce. No, I don't need to hear Bad Bad Leroy Brown and uh, Working at the Car Wash Blues or even I'll Have to Say I Love You in a Song Again. This one song, uh, I just hit the table, this one song, I Got a Name, it just strikes me as poignant. Croce died September 20th, 1973. The song got all the way to, I believe, number two in the United States. It's a well-written song. Again, like uh, Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke, which I was talking about. I don't need the strings on it. He's pulling enough heartstrings without the string section swelling up in the song. But let me talk briefly about why I like the song. It's a part of my life that's really important to me. One of the powers of pop music is, in fact, perhaps the greatest power of pop music is you're walking down the street or you're entering a, a cafe to have a coffee or you're at a party or whatever and a certain song comes on and boom, you're back in high school or grade school or you're back with Cindy Lou or you're back with Handsome Danny who broke your heart or whatever. And it's amazing the power that pop music has to, to change you emotionally just on a dime, just after a few bars of music. September 19th, 1973, a day after my birthday, Graham Parsons had died in the Southern California desert out towards 29 Palms. And I was a big Graham Parsons fan. Still am, still am, the late great bird. And so for about a day, that was pretty hot news. You know, Graham, he was on the front page of The State, which was the daily newspaper in Columbia, South Carolina. So he's on the front page. So I knew, sing it on the the, the uh, newspaper box where you put in your 10 cents or whatever it was and then pulled out your newspaper. I knew he was dead because how else could a not that popular artist be on the cover of the front page of the news, daily newspaper? The next day, the next day, Croce and five uh, band members died uh, when their chartered Beechcraft crashed into a tree during takeoff. I think it was in Louisiana. Now, because uh, Croce had already had some hits there was no way his death was not going to completely swamp and eclipse and overshadow the death of Graham Parsons. And it really is a, a sad thing. I'm not in any way uh, belittling the death of Jim Croce and, and, uh, and what it meant to his family. But to me, it was the ultimate irony of Graham's sad life that he had 24 hours of fame and then boom, he's not famous anymore. Graham's uh Two CD, two, two, two album set that's on one CD that I mentioned earlier, GP and Grievous Angel, is now a, a nice selling back catalog item, as we call it. Croce's three albums all entered the American top 10 Billboard album chart. They were in the top 10 in early 74, all three of his albums. And of course, one of them had the, the wonderful song we just heard, I Got a Name. So Croce, uh, boy, he really, like John Lennon's Double Fantasy, selling 9 million copies off the back of his death. There's nothing that advertises a, a musician's life more than death. I hate saying that, but it's true time and time again. Double Fantasy by Lennon sold about 2 million copies. 
He's assassinated. It sells 7 million more in just a few short weeks. To wit, I was working in Rhino Records. Miles Davis dies. Miles Davis is a key player, an important guy. We sold a lot of his stuff at, at Rhino Records. The four or five days after Miles Davis died, everybody and their brother came into the Rhino Records saying, do you have any Miles Davis? And that's the same with record stores across the country. Because... People don't walk around thinking about Jim Croce and Miles Davis unless they're fans. And all of a sudden, boom, their name is everywhere for days because this major star of a genre has died. So nothing causes uh, great sales like death. What a horrible thing to say, but it's the truth. And that's tonight's theme. Artists who are popular and beloved that had big hits after they died. Hence, Buddy Holly, who started with, then Johnny Ace, then Chuck Willis, then the late, great John Lennon, who I just mentioned, Patsy Cline, Bob Marley, Sam Cooke, Tupac, Hendrix, Hank Williams, Jim Croce. And now we're going to end tonight in this bittersweet, quixotic, what a great word that is. It it's references Don Quixote, get it, Cervantes? We're now going to end this quixotic show with another piece of brilliant music. A lot of people didn't like uh, this song or the idea of an old band going back and tarting up their old songs and putting them out. In my opinion, both the original demo of this song by the songwriter and this song itself are more than legitimate representations of the band. One of the guys in the band said, you can't reboil your cabbages twice or something like that. Well, in this case, I disagree.
John Lennon singing It's Real Love. Hey, I'm listening on the headphones. And someone's playing either the banjo in the left can, ladies and gentlemen. That's the left earphone. Or it might be that uh, uh, banjolin or whatever it's called that George Formby played. There's a chunk, chunk, a chunk, chunk, a chunk that George Harrison was probably playing in the left speaker. Go figure. Uh, when the Beatles decided they'd come do the... Um, anthology series. There were a number of reasons to do it. Their attorneys had pointed out to them, gentlemen, bootlegs are coming out right, left, and center. It's estimated several hundred million dollars has been generated in money spent on uh, Beatle bootlegs that you've not seen a penny of. You should, as it were, bootleg your own back catalog, put out some unreleased stuff, tart it up, and at least make some money from it. At that same time, Mr. George Harrison was having problems with uh, handmade films going uh, bankrupt. He's having problems with uh, Dennis, what was the guy's name that ran? Dennis O'Neill? Was that the guy that ran? Or Dennis O'Dell that ran Handmade? He was having legal problems and needed money. He had remortgaged his fabulous home that you see on the cover of uh, Out in Henley on Thames, that you see on the cover of All Things Must Pass. Now, everyone thought we can't have a Beatle declare bankruptcy. So they put out Anthology to make some money, to beat the bootleggers, to save George Harrison's bank account, blah, 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 blah. Everything's a big hit. They went to Yoko and said, we'd like to put a new song on each one of the two CD sets. She gave them uh, three cassettes of John Lennon demos, just poorly recorded stuff that they had Jeff Lynne tart up. Why Jeff Lynne instead of George Martin? Uh, apparently, George Harrison wanted Jeff Lynne because of various reasons, like the Traveling Wilburys, I guess. To me... They should have gotten George Martin. Sorry, pal. Should have gotten George Martin. Anyway, they put out uh, Free as a Bird, which is kind of dull, a mistake to put out a dirge. They put out that song, Real Love, which I love to bits. There's another song called, I think, Now and Then, that frankly, they'd worked on a little bit. George Harrison just announced, sorry, don't like it, which is why the third anthology doesn't have an original Beatles song on it. McCartney keeps threatening to fix that song up and release it one day. We'll see if he does. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. A long-winded Sid Griffin, uh, as usual, sending out love and respect and, and regards to all of you out there. It's been a gas being on the show. On behalf of our engineer, Kevin Stokes, of the South of Still Band, check him out. And on behalf of Sonia, we've got to go now. We're sending out real love to you and yours. Have a wonderful spring 2018, and we hope to be back in very, very early summer. God bless you. Goodbye. Adios, 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 adios. adios.